When we first started this journey, I hated to use the term subsistence farmer to describe what I'm doing. But now I've come around. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of April the 10th, 2014. I didn't realize you disliked the term subsistence farmer. Well, I don't think at first I understood exactly what it meant. Um, I thought that maybe when I told people I was doing that and, of course, I, I was leaving my academic life and my nice little suburban lifestyle that to sound as if I was going and scratch around in the dirt and just, you know, barely be able to lead a hand-to-mouth existence. I don't know. That's what I pictured. That's interesting. Okay. Well, um, well, that's what we're talking about today. What does it take to be a subsistence farmer? So why don't we define the term? Uh, yeah, I guess the way we've come to understand it uh, is someone who is working toward the being self-reliant. Uh, you're, you're traveling a journey toward subsistence, even though you know you will never arrive. Um, well, some people may not necessarily say, I know I'll never arrive. They may have. I mean, I read Mother Earth News, and there are all kinds of people who probably have arrived, but we're just well, saying we won't. Uh, we do not expect we right. will ever be to the point right. where we don't need to get inputs from outside the farm. Yeah. So, you know, and now that I understand that meaning, which I did four years ago, but I, but like I said, when we first started, I really didn't. And I would say, I want to be a sustainable farmer. But I didn't think subsistence was it. But now I, I do realize that because we're not trying to feed the world. We're not trying to feed the community. We're not starting a CSA. We're not selling our produce. Don't sell it's, at a farmer's market. Right. It's just to sustain ourselves. And, and to our, give away to friends and, and to family. Give, right. It's not like we're being selfish. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's not that we want to make a living doing this. Exactly. And it is... Parenthetically, it's been a quite pleasant life. We do commend it to you. Uh, but we thought we'd sort of tick off some of the questions we tend to get from people about do I need this, do I need that, and see if we can't be somewhat systematic about some of the things that we think you do need. Um, and I should say, we haven't talked this through beforehand, so you and I are going to have different perspectives on a couple that's of these, right. and we think that's okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll just sort of... Uh, resolve our disagreements if we can, and yeah. if we can't, we'll just accept them. And to inject a little humor to start out, you told me what some of the questions would be, and they're basically yes or no questions. And, uh, for example, do you need money? And I said, no, but it helps. And to every question you ask, my first answer was, no, but it helps. <laughs> exactly. So, so I'll go ahead and just <laughs> tell you right now that for many of these, my answer will be, no, but it really is advantageous to have uh, some capital to start out, etc. So the first question, I bet you're not going to answer that way. Do you need land? The answer is yes. You, do you need to own the land? No. No. Do you need the use of land? You need the use of land. You don't necessarily need to be a land owner. And as we've talked about, 
you could even have, depending on where your suburban lot is, if you have enough property around your house, you can do this. Absolutely. Uh, And that's probably the next question. How much land do you need? Um, Obviously, you could get by on less than an acre and do an awful lot of growing of your own food, which would lessen significantly the cost that you incur for food from the supermarket and so forth. Um, We've looked at this, and I think we came up with somewhere around 10 to 12 acres that you need to do it sort of the way we're doing it. Right, but people who have urban gardens and uh, even people who have, I mean, we just bought this chicken coop that said the it was an urban chicken coop just because we're starting small with chickens and, and we want to try to just dip a toe in the water when it comes to the chicks. But uh, um, there, you, I don't know whether a person who lives in the, who considers themselves an urban farmer could also be a subsistence farmer, but I don't see why not. Yeah, they can certainly be moving towards subsistence, which of right. course is what we've just what said we're, we're doing. doing. Yeah, uh, We own 88 acres, but clearly are not needing all of that land to do what we do. We could get by. In fact, we are. The, the, the active horticultural operation is on about 10 acres. Yeah. So. And, and when you said a second ago, I wasn't really trying to avoid the question of, uh, or y- your discussion point about 10 to 12 acres to do it the way we're doing it. We have orchard trees. A person who's living in a more compact environment might not be able to do that might, or might have one or two trees or Trees that I keep, they keep really small, dwarf varieties, right. etc. We have a barn and a lodge. <laughs> we have a pond. We have an orchard. We have a garden. And we've got a lot of space as well. So uh, you, could, you could make it much more compact than we have it and be just fine. Um, does the land need to be paid for? Uh, you would say no. I would say you don't need to have a huge debt load because if you do, you're going to have trouble carrying it unless you have income coming in from off the farm. True. And um, it could be like any other mortgage situation. A lot of people, homeowners, don't really, when you say, is it paid for? No, because they still are paying on their mortgage. Um, Could you live in that situation and be a subsistence farmer? Yes, you could. As long as you have another source of income, as you said. Yeah. Uh, But it is, well, we'll get to what money has become for us in a little little bit. Um, Do you need to have money in addition to the land in order to do this right? If it's subsistence farming you're talking about, yes, you do. Because otherwise, you don't have any source of income at all. Um, If it's someone who's using the property to grow food to support yourself, that's a different matter. Well, and I was getting to the capital items that we have found ourselves adding. Equipment, improvements to the property. Um, There are a lot of things that that we have done, and I hope we're almost finished doing them, uh, that take money to do right. And you're talking about money above and beyond what it takes simply to live on from day to day. Exactly. Talking about capital 
And I would I would certainly agree with you on that. We've tried to make wise decisions and wise investments because we'll look at a mulcher, for example, that we buy and say, well, we're, we'll be able to use this for years and years to provide our own mulch. So it's an investment. Exactly. Do you need to have a partner? Could you do this by yourself if you needed to? People do. Some people do. And I, I think it takes a particular personality to do this alone. Um, I don't think either you or I would be well suited to doing this alone. I think no. we would get lonely. It would. And especially since we, neither of us grew up on a farm. We didn't, I didn't even grow up gardening. Um, you know, I, I go to all these presentations and hear my friends and colleagues talk about how they grew up doing this. And, um, or one of our friends who said she always wondered, from, even as a child, she liked to plant a seed and watch it grow. Well, as a kid, I really didn't care much at all about growing seeds, anything from a seed. But I, I put that out there to say that we kind of depended on each other to spur each other on, to learn more, to um, bounce ideas off each other, because we are new at it. And so um, I think if you went into this as a seasoned gardener or a seasoned farmer, and you just liked being alone anyway or were used to it, I think it would be just fine. To yeah. Be, to, to Every have, now and then we will have a task that's easier for two people to do together than for one person, but those are rare. It, it's the the main advantage to us of of our partnership is just keeping each other company and and sharing the journey with each other. Absolutely, yeah. Because some of the, especially women I know who um, are farming on their own, they end up either if they don't have children or friends to help out with. Uh, some of the tasks that, like you said, something that requires more than one person to do, they'll um, hire it out and that kind of thing. So right. you find assistance where you can. But you're right. It's it's um, keeping each other informed about things, um, being able to dialogue about it, being able to share it at the end of the day. And it's kind of like when I go to do my volunteer gardening and you're working with a partner while you're weeding or you're pruning, the time goes faster. It's so much more pleasant to have a partner. I agree. Um, and if you're going to have a partner, anything that we that occurs to us about the kind of relationship you ought to have with that partner. Obviously, you and I are husband and wife. We love each other romantically as well as buds. Um, but does anything that you occur to you about what the relationship needs to be? No, I think if it's not if it's a family relationship of any kind, whether it's siblings or other than a married couple who, you know, have a, hopefully their financial uh, means are completely intertwined. But if it's, if it's two separate entities like um, adult siblings or uh, maybe like just two friends, friends, then I think the only thing that could possibly be an issue, sort of like any kind of joint ownership is, you know, you'd want to make sure there's not, there's a clear understanding about the financial Good point. And, and who's going to be doing the hands-on work? And, you know, is mm -hmm. one of you going to be spending more time on it than the other mm -hmm. and so, so forth? Mm -hmm. One just sideline about you and me, our personalities, our traits are complementary. I think you would agree. Yes. I'm more head down, focus on this task, get this one finished. And you're more heads up. What else? What else do we need to be thinking about? I'm scanning the horizon yes, for new exactly. projects. <laughs> and and that those two traits are compatible. 
you know, it works well for us that we are different in that way. And I'm more type A, you're more type B. True. I tend to get driven when it comes to a True. project. And, and so, um, but, and I, I think, yes, if you were seeking a partner, uh, if you were looking for a friend to go in with you on a farm, I think you're right. Looking for somebody with a complimentary personality um, would be one. And, you know, I think about even parents and children uh, farming for most of recorded history is a family affair. And mm-hmm. so there's definitely a partnership there. And you mentioned earlier about experience growing food. Do you need to have experience growing food to do this well? No, but it helps. <laughs> but you can learn. We are living proof that one can learn. Um, and there are so many good sources of information Um you know, we've talked about this many times in our previous podcasts about our going to conferences and workshops and becoming master gardeners and um, just continuing to learn from others. When I go and work as a volunteer, I always come home with some new information from one of my fellow master gardeners. And I agree with you that having experience growing food would have been helpful. But on the other hand, in some ways, it was good that we didn't have that experience because we didn't have to unlearn any wrong things we were doing in our master gardener work. Right. We just we were like little sieves soaking up all of this information about how to do it right. And, you know, another factor would be if someone learned to grow food in one part of the country or another one part of the world, moved to a completely different hardiness zone or a completely different climate, that too could mean unlearning or relearning. And, you know, since we had not really learned it about anything, I'm just thinking about people I've known who've either lived on the West Coast and they come back East or they've lived up in Connecticut and they've come South. Sometimes they've talked about the differences that they've had to, how they have to adapt. Do you need to have people skills? No, but it helps. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I'm always needing help from somebody. And, you know, if you know how to ask and you you know how to be, um, you know, genuine with people, it's not about trying to manipulate people. That I think people, I mean, I know because my training, my background academically is in this area. Uh, it's about being a communicator who really cares about other people and is able to take their perspective, not somebody who tries to manipulate and get something out of somebody else. So, um if you have good people skills, as you put it, then that's the best way to learn to cooperate with others and find out what you need to know and, and gain their expertise and their help in times of need. And I would say for those people who are planning to do most of this alone and you just don't have good people skills, it's probably okay. You'll probably be all right. Uh, but I agree with you. They are, they're helpful. Uh, here's a funky one. Do you need to be creative to be a subsistence farmer? I would say another time of saying you don't have to be completely, you know, right brain or artistic in that sense or having the most divergent thinking pattern in the world. But given climate change, given, you know, new pests coming in or invasive species that we're having to deal with um, almost on an annual basis. I hear about some new pest that is here now. 
It helps to be creative in trying to find solutions to these problems. And more than just solution to pest problems, just the issues that come up. Yes, you can do this without being creative. You can do it just from watching other people and copying them. But there's something about being able to connect the dots of, of the unique advantages you have from your own property, your own unique soil conditions, and your own uh, schedule and so forth, and being able to think, you know, you know, I guess I could do it this way. I just think it makes a big difference to be able to be creative. And frankly, I'm not as creative I was, as I would like to be, and I, I miss it sometimes. Well, here's my answer to that, too. I don't know how creative I am, but I am a social scientist by training, and I'm always, um, I'll tell people, I'm just going to do an experiment this time. I'll do an experiment. So that's my answer to creativity. I'm not afraid to fail. I don't want to fail all the time. That could get old. But, you know, I, I try new yeah. things in the, in the interest of some sort of, um, I'll say the word again, experimentation um, to see uh, which way of doing things works better. Okay. Do you need to be willing to work hard? Yes. <laughs> that, that's the answer to that one. I won't say no, but it helps. I'd say you, you just, there's no substitute for day in, day out, nose to the grindstone. Got to be willing to sweat. Got to be willing to do that grunt work when it needs to be done. Um, you don't have to kill yourself. I mean, I don't. You neither you nor I um, carries on a grueling schedule, but we are at it every day. And you know, we've talked about this earlier too. When we dealt with weed control, pest control is like we're saying. I'd rather work smarter, not harder. And the older we get, and as we look toward our years, golden years, we say, you know, that's that's really the byline is I want to work hard now so that, and work smart so that as I become less able to do some of these things, I am positioned to continue. You know, the way you keep bringing these things up, it's almost like you could, you're looking at the outline. Do you need to be smart to do this? Well... I did look at the outline, but I, when I say work smart rather than hard, I don't necessarily mean do you have a high IQ. And when I looked at that, I thought, are you saying do I need, you know, the more That's intelligent. What I'm do you need to be, do you need to have a high IQ? If you're asking, is there a linear relationship between a person's intelligence and how successful they are going to be as a farmer? No, you don't need to be. Um, if it's about just using, um, the common sense, God-given, you know, being able to figure things out, not repeating your mistakes, um, or, or, you know, knowing to when to ask for help and when not to. Um, yeah, that helps. Do you need to have computer skills? Well, I know people who are doing this who don't. Yeah, I don't think you need to. Have, you and I have have. We are both very comfortable using computers, and as a result, we tend to rely on computers a lot when we're doing it, and in particular, the Internet, researching issues and communicating with other people and doing the teaching work. This podcast uses the Internet and so forth. We're very comfortable with the Internet, um, but I think you could get by just fine without it. Well, there's so much good information that's available online, and everything from you know, the uh, extension systems website that links to all kinds of research-based articles about horticulture 
to just being able to, you know, Google a question and see if somebody's garden forum has addressed it. It helps. Not essential. Do you need livestock? Well, we've gotten by so far, even though we're thinking of uh, at least adding chickens. Well, we've already added fish. You know, we're doing the pond thing, and now we're talking about chickens. So um, I, 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 I would say your stock answer is probably the right one. You no, know, but it helps. Um, and the reasons that we have for adding the fish and the chickens are protein-related. But in the process, we also expect to have some fertility advantages. So I, I think that livestock make a difference. And if you, if, you know, are looking to permaculture models or read Joel Salatin and some of these uh, perspectives on it, you'll see a lot of arguments in favor of having livestock as a part of the system. I would add you need to have a secure sense of self. One of the things that has been interesting to me is, although I think we're doing okay as subsistence farmers, we're continually reminded that somebody else is doing a better job I of know. this or a better job of that than we are. And if we didn't have a secure sense of self, I think we would feel threatened by that. We would be saying, well, gosh, how come they're doing so much better the, about this, that, or the other than we are? Um, as it is, I, I don't think that worries you or me. It's just like, well, okay, they're doing well with that. <laughs> and I'd like to think we're secure enough to say, well, then let's go look and see what they're doing and see if we can learn something new. Exactly. Let's keep learning. And we have. We've continued to learn. And I wanted to finish with one other thought. It's been striking to me during the roughly five years that we've been doing this how much more dear money has become than it was when we started. Uh, we look back on some of the things we purchased in the early days, and I'm just astounded at the amount of money we spent. But most of those purchases, I'm really glad we made. I am too. I, I'm not regretting that we spent that money. I just know that I wouldn't be able to bring myself to spend it today. For example, the seven-foot deer fence that surrounds Veg Hill. I'm so glad that's there. <laughs> oh, yes. And we spent... an incredible amount of money on these chimes that we have. I love them, and I'm glad we have them, but I would never spend that kind of money today. Well, but it, it adds to our the quality of our life here. And uh, so, you know, we have to say that it is something that contributes to our being able to live here and um, become and, and stick to our original plan to be subsistence farmers. We don't have to go hike on somebody else's trails and hear the, their church's chimes, we have our own. So there. Well, I don't know whether you've enjoyed this, but we have. We've had a good time with this. Hope you have a great week, and we'll look forward to our visit next week. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.